Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's Word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that, that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, good morning. Who made it to the ball drop last night? A few of you, a good, good chunk of you. I figured there would be two types of people. People that made it to the ball drop and people that didn't. That's the revolutionary thinking right there. But I figured there was going to be some that were wise and did not make it to the ball drop. And there would be some that did. And for those that did, you're, right now you're being held together by one thing. You know, in church, you'd expect me to say the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say that. Caffeine. <laughs> yes, coffee. Uh, and uh, I would assume that the, now the soothing sound of my voice will put you nestled into a nice, deep sleep. And don't worry, I'm not going to be offended. It's not like I spent all week preparing a message for you. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's for God, not you guys. Um, but no, I, I, however you got here today, however you make it through the service, uh, I'm just excited to see your smiling faces on New Year's Day, right? We're, we're entering into a new chapter, a new season, and, and this is a time where people get really revved up and really energized, and I would just hope that we, as we go into that next year, this new year, that we do get energized for the things of God, right? We're, we're, we're living in a world and a society and culture that, that many of us would say has gone mad but I think when we look at First Peter, we're saying it hasn't gone mad, it's been mad, and it's seemingly getting worse. And so ultimately, we, we want to be people that really believe in the hope and the glory of the gospel of God, that we believe that, and we believe that it has power to change lives, that has the power to, if it had the power to change my life, it has the power to change a neighbor's life, right? Many of us think that way, believe that way, and um, Ultimately, we believe there is power, power in the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And, and we've seen that throughout this, this, this book that Peter's writing. He talks about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. Because how you're going to be able to endure suffering, how do you have a living hope? Well, there, there's the Spirit of God living inside of you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and now lives inside of us. And it affords us a power, a strength that the natural world doesn't know. The natural doesn't experience. Um, and, and we get to experience it, you know, because the Spirit lives inside of us, but we also get to experience God through his word, right? And so I, I believe if you were here today, you know, however you got here, however you get through it, that God has something for you. And I believe that because it's God's revelation. His word is his revelation to mankind, and, and it's good for us. For, for, for the, the, the man of God, it's, it's a neutral word that we're man. So the man or woman of God, that they would be equipped for every good work. That the calling that God gave you on your life, he has given you everything in his word to accomplish it. 
And so, yes, we feast here. Yes, we live here in the Word of God. Because how else are we going to get through this life, this journey? And it's in these times, right, where we believe, I believe that the Word of God helps you get through the chaoticness of these last several years. Right? I, I think it's the Word of God that gives you that power, that gives you an understanding, a framework to look at the craziness of 2020 to 2023, right? Uh, it's just wild. But you, you can go into this next year and, and just have rose petal glasses about how life is gonna look and how it's gonna be. And, and that's one, I don't wanna discourage you from that. But I do want us to be re- real. I want us to have a reality check. Like some of you this next year, you're gonna get a diagnosis, Some of you this year are going to lose a loved one. And maybe it's not you that loses the loved one, but you're the loved one that's lost. Or maybe you endure some sort of financial hardship or crisis, or maybe you have marital strife this next year. All of that is reality. I've been a pastor for not too long, and I can tell you every year I've seen all of those things. All that happens. And doesn't, I said, you might think, man, you just are sounding like the Grim Reaper preaching on 2023, day one. But I'm, try, I'm not trying to be, but I am, I am trying to say, hey, this is the brokenness of the world that we live in. This is the reality. These are everyday realities for people. Right? And some of you, you come into this place this morning, and you've experienced all of those things maybe in the last week. You say, man, this has been tough. This is a rough week for me. I don't know what day it was, but I was, I was crying with my wife this week, beat down mentally. And I'm telling you, it was a hard week. Life isn't easy. So never I think that I'm up here saying, trying to act or pretend like it is. No, any of you could call me and say, hey, I got marital strife. Hey, financial hardship. Hey, diagnosis. I'm just not shocked. Why? Because it's the world we live in. And yet we're the people, and we're calling this series Living Hope. We're, 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 we're calling this Living Hope. And what we do, and we're saying that it doesn't mean that we're rejecting the realities of the world. No, 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 no. No, we don't, we don't reject the realities of the world. I, I again, I don't think the world's going mad. I think the world's been mad. I don't think it's getting, I don't think it's now getting dark. I think it's been dark. And all the while, ever since Christ commissioned his church, he gave us lights. He gave us foes to go into the world. Right? He called his church. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And so we have been called to not pretend that darkness doesn't exist. We've been called to go into it. And, and I think Peter has been addressing that for, for much of his book. I mean, he's saying suffering, pain, hardships are not new to the human experience. Well, the, the, these things are very, very real. And that's what we'll see from Peter today in our text. And, and thus far, Peter, you know, he's shared how we have a living hope and, and how that hope orients our lives to look a certain way to that we would give an expression to the world about the hope that we have. And we do it with gentleness and respect. And, and then he, he talks about how not only does this living hope 
orient our lives, but it fixes our eyes on a future glory. And so two weeks ago, if you were here, uh, the message was, was Peter giving you the worldview of the world and the worldview of the Christian. And, and he, he lays them out both for you and says, hey, this is how the, the, the world responds to suffering. This is how Christ-centered people respond to suffering. And he just lays it out. So this is the worldview that they're looking out of. Right? And, and, and as he does, um, he says the world has, is, has all sorts of debauchery. He lists out sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. And as he puts those worldviews side by side, he wants you to see them clear as they are, as clear as they can be. And in our text this morning, uh, as we continue on in chapter four, he's going to tell you why you should live like Jesus, why you should suffer like Jesus. Because honestly, if your worldview did not account for life after death, if it did not have a high esteem for Christ and his divinity, then the, the Christian worldview doesn't make sense. If you, don't, if you believe 75 years, that's all, that's all that there is, that then honoring Christ, suffering like Christ did, sharing in his sufferings, that doesn't make sense. Living in obedience to God's word, that doesn't make sense if there's nothing after these 75 years. Why would you not live like the world in that scenario? Why wouldn't you give in to every passion and lustful intent that you have? Because it's 75 years, and it doesn't really matter. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians, in one of the most gospel-saturated passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul identifies and acknowledges that the worldview of the world makes sense to the world. He says this in verse 32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking... I fought with peace at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, humanly speaking, okay, I'm taking off my lenses, I'm putting on the world's lenses, like from an earthly human perspective, if all I have is 75 years, nothing else, why would I suffer the way that I did at Ephesus? When I went to Ephesus and I fought those beasts at Ephesus, if you can remember back to Acts 18, Paul shows up to Ephesus. He gives the gospel to these people. There's an explosion of the gospel, so much so that it causes the world to freak out. The people that are making money on sinful idolatry, they're like, okay, let's kill that guy. He's causing a problem. Paul says, man, why would I go and do that? Why would I go try and make much of the name of Christ and endure that suffering if there was nothing after death. If the dead are not raised, why would I endure suffering for Christ? It makes no sense. If all I have is a lens of 75 years, and that's it, let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's his worldview. That, that, that's the worldview of the world. Paul says that makes sense to the unbelieving world. If the dead are not raised, Paul believes they're going to be raised. The dead in Christ are going to be raised. But he says, let's suppose that they aren't, for argument's sake, then yes, let's eat, drink, and be married. Why wouldn't I live, go, go into sensuality? Why would you get married? Right? Why, why wouldn't you just view somebody as a, a, a sex object to fulfill your desire? Right? I, I mean, let's just be honest. Well, why would... Why, why, because I, I mean, as my understanding, biblical worldview, my understanding of marriage is that it glorifies God. That, that is its intent. You take God out of the equation, 
What's keeping you together? What, 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 when it gets hard, why not just say, I'm gonna go find somebody else who just feeds me my fleshly desire? If the dead are not raised, Paul says, that worldview makes sense. And today in our text in 1 Peter chapter four, Peter's gonna lay in with strong evidence why the Christian worldview makes sense to the believer and how it should make sense to the believer. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, we're looking at 1 Peter 4. We're gonna start in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised when. If you highlight in your Bible, underline, circle, do something with that word, when. Because notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if the fiery trial comes upon you. Not, it doesn't say, maybe a fiery trial will come upon you. Now, hopefully a fiery trial doesn't come upon you. When, a fire, when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you, don't be surprised. Well, like definitive, take this to the bank. Trials are coming upon you. Hard days are coming upon you. And, and in this moment, it's as if he's, in 53 AD, it's as if Peter is prophetically saying, when they start feeding you to the lions, don't be surprised. When they start torching you, don't be surprised. When they start giving you to the beast, when they start sawing you in two, when they start beheading you, don't be surprised that that comes for you. You know, in our current context, when Starbucks doesn't put Christ on your cup, don't be surprised. When you get censored on social media, don't be surprised. When you see people slandering Christians, don't be surprised. And I hope, I hope, I'm not speaking prophetically, but don't be surprised if it gets worse. Don't be surprised if it gets darker here in the West. But in our current context, we're already experiencing some of these just small little nuances of it. But we're seeing it. Don't be surprised. I am not, the fact that Starbucks doesn't want to be a megaphone for the message of Christ, I am just not surprised. They're a message for a $6 cup of coffee and a bunch of other agenda you don't want to get mixed in with as a Christian. Right? Are we here? Okay. And so Peter here is saying, do not be surprised. A very prophetic thing to say in 53 AD. I've always been puzzled by the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel movement. I've shared that before. Um, but you go through a book like First Peter. Go through a book like Ecclesiastes. You go through just almost about any book of the Bible. I don't know how you get around, uh, as, as a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, I, I don't know how they would get around some of these passages of Scripture. I mean, First Peter is just riddled with, you're going to suffer, and Christ is going to be enough, and fix your eyes on an eternal hope. Don't get lost on this temporal stuff. I mean, it's coming for you. It's going to happen. But fix your mind on eternal things. Peter remembered Jesus, in one of the most beautiful sermons ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, talking about anxiety and depression, he says, fix your eyes on the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. 
that you fix your eyes on the kingdom of the world, you're gonna be really depressed, really anxious, really broken. But Jesus is, no, no. and so Peter almost just resharing a message that he heard, right? That throughout this book, he's, get your eyes on a future glory. Um, and so yes, you know, faithfulness is not dependent on um, your circumstances. Some of the greatest acts of faith you see in scriptures were acts of obedience under persecution. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 referred to as the roll call of faith or the hall of faith. Um, the author of Hebrews goes in and he, he lays out all these people that did all these amazing, miraculous, um, faithful feats for God. And this is, what he, this is when he gets to verse 32. The author says this, and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, or David, and of Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of battle and weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And so the author of Hebrews, the hall of faith, Hebrews 11, he's, they go in and say, hey, look at all these people, Rahab and, 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 and you know, they, they, Abraham, and they list out all these people and all these amazing things. And then the author gets to the point and says, for time would fail me to tell you of Samson and, and Jacob and author goes in and say, hey, I would love to tell you more about all these other amazing people that did all these other amazing things. And, and they, what do they do? They stop the mouths of lions. They conquered kingdoms, put foreign armies to flight. Like, man, if this is what it means to be a Christian, sign me up somewhere. Throw me in a lion's den and watch me shut the lion's mouth. I mean, that would be wild and amazing and awesome. If that's when it's a Christian, man, sign me up. But the passage doesn't stop there. And I don't know if I could believe the Bible if it did. Because that hasn't been my human experience. That has not been my life as a Christian. You know, hardships have still come. If, if the Bible was just victory after victory, and the hardship was never a part of the story, then, man, God and I must not be on the same page. Because that's not my story. But no, look at what else the passage says. Some were tortured. It wasn't like there was like a break in the passage. It was period, some were tortured. Some were mocked and flogged. Some were imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The point is your circumstances don't dictate or measure your faithfulness. And just because you're going through something, that doesn't mean that it isn't a part of God's plan for you. In our passage today, Peter's gonna make it very crystal clear that even in the Christian worldview, suffering has a place and God has put it there. 
And I know we live in 2023, and the aim of our society is comfort, and suffering is viewed as abnormal. I spent some time this week reading articles that were not Christian, per se. Um, it's a very scientific. Uh, one, one was from Psychology Today. Interestingly, the world's tapped into what, what the Bible's already said. Uh, this article that I was reading on Psychology Today was that suffering is normative. It's normal. It's normal. And, and partly why we have a culture that's so messed up right now and so depressed and so anxious, and I know there's a lot of other reasons, but one reason is we've now viewed as suffering as something that's not normal or that it's abnormal. And so we now, now we think I mean, something has gone wrong. It's like, well, no, suffering, the brokenness of this world is normative. It really is. And that doesn't mean you have to stay in that. It doesn't mean you have to live in that. But you start thinking difficulties coming your way is, is somehow not common. No, it's, it's very common. And so I've really, I've really, this week, really pondered this question. How is the idea of suffering being abnormal, how has that got infiltrated our culture? Because when I think about it, the church community would say suffering is normative. And even in the scientific realm, they would say suffering is normative. I'm puzzled at where, where has this idea been birthed and grown in our society and culture, but it has. And it's messing with people. It's destroying people because when suffering comes in, begin to wonder, why is this happening to me? How do I respond? The fact that suffering is no, the normal part of life. I mean, you Google that. Google that. Is suffering normal? Look at Google's top answer. It's not even an article, but just that, that fine print at the top. Google's going to tell you suffering is normal. Um, and so that's not where the Christian worldview and the worldview of the world collide. No, we agree on that. The difference is how to respond to the hard. And so Peter, looking around at this suffering church, saying, don't be surprised when the fiery trials come upon you. Trials come. Like, like don't be surprised. Like, like, no one goes out to war and then has a missile fly by their head and go, what was that? No, you, you just don't engage in battle, not expecting bullets coming your way. Right? And, and, and Peter here, he's acknowledging this real reality that as a believer, don't be surprised when things come your way as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's saying that suffering is not strange. It's normative. Expect it. Don't be surprised when it comes as it's coming. When it comes, don't be surprised. Peter would go as far as to say that hard days are actually planned. We will get to that, um, but we're going to pick back up in our text, verse 13, 14. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So this contrast at the very beginning is these two words, but rejoice. But rejoice. So, so he's saying, okay, um, why buy into the Christian worldview? Why does the Christian worldview make sense? Because it's normative. 
Like, like we have an understanding of why suffering is here, that we don't believe that it's on accident, but, but we, we believe that there's actually a plan here. Um, and then he says, but rejoice. So even in the midst of it all, Christians have the opportunity to rejoice, but I want you to see something from the text. Notice what it says here. The Christian response is this. Don't miss this. We don't rejoice because of suffering. Look at that verse. We don't rejoice because of suffering. See that in the text? You don't rejoice because cancer diagnosis. You don't rejoice because of financial crisis. You don't rejoice over marital conflict. That's not what Peter says. Rejoice insofar or as much as you can as you share Christ's sufferings. As you share Christ's sufferings. If this is an opportunity, if if what you're going through leads you more into revelation of God, more into understanding, more into communion with God, then then rejoice because of that. That's what, what Peter's driving home at right there. Um, I remember a few years back, I was outside, it was summertime, I got a really bad burn, and this was uh, right after a burn I had had earlier that winter while I was in Florida, I damaged some nerves, and I developed this thing called Hell's Itch. That's what it's called. Now I'm making it up, and it's as bad as it sounds. Um, and so I remember when I, when, I, when I first got developed, I was going to help a buddy painting his house, and I'm like outside on his brick of his house, shirt up just like scratching my back, trying to get relief. And I came to him and I said, dude, like, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. I have to go do something because I'm miserable. So I called a friend. She was going through um, her residency as a, uh, is it dermatology, the one with skin? Yep, dermatology. And so I called her. I said, hey, what should I do? And she said, okay, go get this cream and get Benadryl pill form. So I go in. I talk to the, the pharmacist, and she gives me both of those things, and I, I go out. She told me, make sure you put the cream on first. Bad idea. Because the cream dried the skin out and made it ten times worse. Um, and so for the next 72 hours, I just lived on Benadryl pills because they would let me fall asleep, and I didn't have to think about being itchy. Uh, and eventually, Hell's Itch got redeemed and became... Heaven's itch. Every time I itch, it's glorifying. You know, um, it's a glorifying experience. <laughs> but uh, I remember that week I was visiting a church on that Sunday morning and knew the pastor pretty well. And afterwards, we, we began talking, catching up. And he had asked how my week was, and I said, "Well, you're not going to believe it. I'm sure, you never heard of Hell's Itch, but I had it this week." And explained it, and he said, "Oh, praise God." And I kind of like take a step back and I'm thinking, do pastors just not listen to people? He didn't miss what I just said. And then he furthered and he continued and he said, anything that takes you to your knees to commune with God is a blessing. Anything that takes you to the Lord in communion with him is a blessing. There's a... um, uh, a gentleman named Joseph Sun, who um, wrote about this in his book, A Theology of Martyrdom. He was a Romanian pastor who was oppressed. And he writes this. This is beautiful. This union with Christ 
is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means that I am not a lone fighter here. I am an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It's not my suffering. I only had the honor to share his sufferings. To to view it that way as a Christian. That whatever I'm partaking in, Christ is partaking in, and we have this commonality, we have this communion in this moment of this suffering. That union with Christ, that that happens in the midst of something, something special, unique. I mean, you see that in our, our own text? Right? You are blessed because the Spirit of God rests upon you. There's something special for the believer in the midst of suffering that you get to experience God in a really different but beautiful way. I love what Samuel Rutherford wrote about suffering. He says, it's in the cellars of affliction where the great king keeps his wine. What Charles Spurgeon once stated, those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. We too can have this lens of suffering that in these moments we get refining because that's really a Christian understanding of Christian suffering. That God allows trials to come into your life that ultimately they would refine you. They would make you more like Jesus. Right? And so when we begin to think about why the Christian worldview, why do we endure suffering, why do we see it through this lens? Well, number one, because there's a plan involved. And it's not left to surprise or chance or any of that. But there's a plan. And that plan is to make you more like Jesus, that you get to experience Jesus in the midst of this suffering. And then we're going to look at one more chunk here. Um, Verses 15 through 18. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be found ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so Peter says that regardless or believer or non-believer, that, that both, of, both, both parties go through suffering. Both parties go through difficulty and hardship. Right? I, I mean, he talks about both a Christian, suffer as a Christian, but he also says don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Because he's talking about two types of people here. And he says both suffer. But don't suffer unnecessarily. Don't suffer uh, for being evil. Well, like you can choose to avoid that suffering that comes along with that kind of activity. But it's a similar idea to this, is that life is hard, so choose your heart. Right? So uh, being healthy is hard. But being unhealthy is also hard. Right, so for, for being healthy, you, right, you have to live on a, on a strict diet. You got to go to the gym. You got to exercise. You got to do all those things. And for most, for most normal people, we're going to say, that's hard to have that kind of discipline and commitment to personal health. But you don't do that. And you start getting diabetes and 
walking is hard and, and you're always tired and your body hurts and you're more susceptible to disease and those types of things. You say, man, that's hard. Choose your heart. And I think that's exactly what Peter's doing here when he gives you both of these worldviews and he gives you both of these outcomes. He eventually says, guess what? Suffering, either way you, either way you flip it, it's hard. Choose your heart. How do you want to suffer? Right, because we, we know as the Christians, the Christian suffers in a way that ultimately it refines you, makes you more like Jesus. And then he paints a really dim picture for the unbeliever, for, for, the, for the meddler, for the, the murderer, for, for all those things. And so the fact that the world gives license to things like sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, that they think that helps ease the pain of suffering and they missed it. That stuff is fuel to the fire and it leads them down a further path of destruction. And for what purpose? Peter would say, there is none. That there is none. The worldview doesn't make sense. You know where Paul would say, I put on the lenses of the world, I have 75 years and that makes sense that they would live that way if the dead are in Christ are not raised. That makes sense. But now that the fact that the dead in Christ are raised, and this is the reality of the world that we live in, that there is life after death, what was the purpose for all that suffering for the world? Peter would say, meaningless. It didn't serve a purpose, but for the Christian. We need to be conformed more into the image of Jesus. We get to allow our pain to be a microphone of God's grace to the world around us. We see suffering through a very different lens. Choose your suffering. How do you want to suffer? Choose that. He's faithful. Verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter says, in light of suffering being a reality, a norm, and knowing that they're very different outcomes for the believer and the unbeliever, he says, keep trusting God. Again, 53, 54 AD, you know, they've got trust in God, but he says, you're gonna keep needing to do that. It's gonna get harder and harder and harder. He's faithful, we can trust him. You know that there's something more than these 75 years, and since you know that, since you know that God, God is working out something beautiful in you, continue to trust the brush strokes when it doesn't make sense. When the world around you, the circumstances don't make sense, continue to trust God. I, I, I once heard a pastor say this, that if you knew everything that God knows, you would ask for the things that he gives you. If you knew everything that God knows, you would ask for the things that he gives you. The problem is we're so limited. We're so limited in our vision. I mean, we're, we're so narrow focused. We're so limited in, in, the, in what we can see. You can't even see the tip of your nose, literally and figuratively. But if we knew what God knew, we'd ask for the things that he gives you. And so trust him. Keep trusting him. He is faithful. He can be trusted. Because when a new when a new chapter of affliction shows up in your life, the temptation to, that's gonna come is to forget about all of God's past faithfulness. 
You're gonna wanna forget about all of his faithfulness in your life and just be tempted to believe that God isn't good and that he can't be trusted. He can be trusted. And if you need evidence of that, my, my, my encouragement to you this morning is look to the cross of Jesus Christ. He can be trusted. He entered into the brokenness. You don't enter into things you don't care about. But Christ entered in into the brokenness, the suffering, the pain of the world. And guess what he did? He became sin for you and I. He took the problem and he took it upon himself. And he said, I'm gonna take care of this. And so that for those who would believe in me and trust in me and, and, and have relationship with me, they would never die but have eternal life. They'd be given a gift of life. Not that you won't suffer. Peter says you're absolutely going to but that he can give you new life, a life that conforms you into the image of Jesus. That's the gift, that's the invitation. If you never have, would this year, this new year, 2023, be the year that that happens, where that takes place, where you say once and for all, I'm dealing with the brokenness of this world, I'm dealing with my own pain, my own suffering, and my own hurts. I'm gonna come to Jesus, the one, the one who can, perfect love can cast out all fear. He can handle the weight of your pain and hurt, and he can give you new life. Let me pray.